2021 is our year to reboot and rebuild. We're going to be talking about that um, and living through that probably all year. Uh, to kind of introduce that theme for the year, we're looking at it on Sunday mornings. And we spent the last few weeks talking about reboot as we looked at some of, the, uh, some of the prophets and some of the other scriptures that talk about renewal and revival and getting things started again. Well, now I want us to shift gears just a little bit as we continue to look at our theme, and we're going to focus for the next few weeks on rebuild. We talked about reboot, and now I want us to talk about rebuild. To help us with that, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to look at the first few chapters over the next few weeks as, um, because Nehemiah is one of the greatest rebuilders in history. And so we know he is capable of leading us and teaching us uh, through this process of rebuilding. As uh, you probably remember, Jerusalem was um, kind of the capital area of Judah, the southern part of the promised land, and that's where the temple was, that's, that's where God's people lived and everything. Well, as they did so often and as we do so often, the people eventually kind of rebelled against God. They stopped keeping the commandments, stopped following the rules, they weren't worshiping the way that they were intended to. And so God sent some prophets along the way, and the prophets said, hey, gang, we're, we're not doing the right thing. We need to get back on board with God, or, or he's going to send an enemy into our camp, and the enemy is going to destroy us. Well, the, the people ignored the prophets, and so Babylon came in and wiped out Jerusalem, tore down the temple, tore down the walls, made a big mess, took most, not all, but took most of the people out into captivity, killed a bunch of them, injured a bunch of them, and took a bunch of them away. They took them into captivity in Babylon. And that's, uh, that's the, the, the story that uh, we associate with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those dudes were there not long after they went into exile. Well, Daniel winds up living a long time there, and he, he lives under two or three different kings there in Babylon. And eventually Persia comes in and Persia takes over Babylon. And so now there's a new king with a, a, a new nation. And the new king of Persia says, you know, we don't really need all these Jews hanging around here anymore. Why don't you guys go home? And he allowed the Jews to return home. So Zerubbabel brings a, a big group of people back home and they, they start to rebuild the temple. And then not too long after that, Ezra brings a bunch of people home and, and they kind of start the reboot part of it uh, where they, they, he, he helps them bring a revival. They return to God's word. They start living by the commandments. They establish worship again now that they have their temple almost rebuilt. They, they start to worship together again. And then Nehemiah gets to bring the third group home. And he leads them to rebuild the wall 
and the gates. I mean, it's cool that they've got the temple now and the, that people are, are doing okay, they're surviving, but the problem is they're not safe. They're not secure. They have no wall around their town to keep them safe. And so Nehemiah brings that third group home and he starts to, to help them rebuild. And as we learn about how he did that, we're going to learn how we can rebuild as well. When it was time for Lisa and I to rebuild our home, we called the contractor and uh, we said, you know, we're, we're ready. We need you to, to, to start building the house. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll get you on the list. And I said, so we're on a list. That means that next week you'll start building? You know, no, it doesn't work that way, Crowder. I said, what do you mean? We're ready to rebuild. He said, well, first we got to get architects to draw the stuff up, and we got to get engineers to test the soil, and then we got to get engineers to double-check the, the, the architect stuff, and then we, you know, we, we got to get a surveyor to, to check all the property lines, and we got to get the utility companies to make sure that we know where stuff is under the ground, and, and you know, we 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 got to get to the city and we got to get all the permits and so there's a lot to do before you get to start rebuilding well this morning Nehemiah is going to help us as he teaches us about preparing to rebuild over the next few weeks we're going to learn a lot about what it's going to take for us to rebuild as a church family but it all starts here. It starts with preparing to rebuild. We're going to look in chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 this morning, as Nehemiah prepares to rebuild. And he's going to show us five things that we, that we have to have in preparation. The first thing that we learn from Nehemiah that we need to prepare to rebuild, the first thing that we need is an accurate assessment of circumstances, an accurate assessment of circumstances. Here, let's start in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev. Remember that. Next week, that's going to become important. Kislev is November and December on our calendar. So remember that this happened in Novemberish to Decemberish. And kind of put a mental bookmark there because that's going to be important next week when we get to chapter 2. But this happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. That 20th year means it's the 20th year that that king had reigned. And so this happens to be Artaxerxes who now is the king of Persia who now runs what used to be Babylon, right? And so he had been king for 20 years. And it says, this happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susta, the citadel. Now, that's, that's like the capital city. That's like the capital of, um, uh, of Persia. And so he's in the capital city, in the palace, where the king is. And it's all this happened now, verse 2, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Tell me what's going on. 
Tell me how things are back at home. Now, when we say home, remember, Nehemiah has probably never been there. So much time has passed. We're about probably close to 100 years now since Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. And so all this time, Nehemiah has probably never even been there, and yet that's home. That's the land of his people. That's the promised land that God gave to his forefathers. And we can tell that he is still a person of faith, which means that his family passed on that faith. Even in exile, even when they were going through the most difficult times of their lives, parents passed on faith to their children, generation after generation. I think that's important for us to remember. Nehemiah asks about how things are at home. Verse 3, they said to me, the remnant there, that means the few people who are still there and now those who have traveled back home, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. That's bad news for Nehemiah, but it's helpful because he knows that he cannot start to help rebuild until he knows what they're facing. An accurate assessment of circumstances is vital if we're going to be ready to rebuild, to move forward. And so that's, that's kind of the step that we've been in for the last few weeks and months. We've been looking at... How are things going? What have we lost? What has to be rebuilt? What's it going to take? What programs do we need to re, uh, start over, I guess we'd say? Um, not only what programs, but what ministries are missing that we can start adding back? How do we do that safely and carefully? All this stuff is a part of what our church family is going through right now. We're in the midst of many conversations that are helping us to get an accurate assessment of circumstances. Once you have that accurate assessment and you know what it is you've got to do, you're ready then for the next thing that he shows us we need, and that is a healthy response to loss. If you, if you continue at verse 4, it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned. For days. It's okay for Christians to be hurt and to be sad when we face times of loss. It's not only okay, it's healthy. When Jesus arrived after Lazarus had died, the Bible says that Jesus saw Mary and Martha in their grief and he saw the Jews with them also grieving. And Jesus wept. When did he weep? He wept when he noticed those around him were weeping. He had empathy and he joined. He understood the circumstance. And it was okay for him to cry. It is okay for us to cry. Nehemiah, it says, sat down and mourned for days. Now, sitting down to us sounds a little bit odd, but in their culture, that's the way one mourned. That's the way they demonstrated grief. They would sit in order to 
grieve. And so this is the culturally acceptable way for him to demonstrate his mourning. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be downers all the time and that we ought to be sad and crying all the time, but I am saying that we don't do anybody any favors when we pretend, okay, since I'm a Christian, everything's got to be hunky-dory wonderful. And we show up at church and we put on a smile and everything's fantastic. It's okay to be real. As a matter of fact, it's required of us to be real. We've suffered a lot of losses in the last year. And it is absolutely acceptable for us to sit down and mourn. For us to take an accurate assessment and see the losses and then respond to those losses in a healthy way. Now, it doesn't mean that we become whiners and complainers. In the Bible, there's an entire book about mourning. It's called Lamentations. Lamentations, there's an entire book about lamenting. And for believers, for Christians, lamenting is not complaining and whining. Lamenting is an honest expression of prayer and praise. Because when we sit down and we say, God, I'm hurting What we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm so connected to you that I'm willing to be honest with you. And then we say, God, I need your help because I can't get through this. We're honestly praying and we're praising him for being the only one who can help. You see, lamenting can be a Christian discipline. It can be a healthy experience. So we look around and we get an accurate assessment of our circumstances and then we, we go through a time of a healthy response. We are not going to close our eyes and pretend that there are no problems. I know that there are some who would like for us to do that. Just pretend there are no problems and get back to everything and move forward and forget all the problems. Well, that's not the way life works. That's not healthy. So we're in the process of of taking an assessment. We are going to respond in a healthy way to the losses. And then, notice what he says, the next thing that we need in preparation to rebuild, the next thing we need is a sincere prayer of faith. We pick it up there at the last part of verse 4. He said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And then he says... And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants." There is a sincere prayer of faith. This is not just, God help. This is, God, if you look at the words, this is, God, you are the promise keeper. You're the one who keeps his covenants. You're the one who follows through. And right now, we need you to follow through. We need you to keep those promises. God, would you please? Please. 
Hear our prayer and help us as we rebuild. There is an accurate assessment of circumstances that leads to an honest and healthy response to that loss. And then there is a sincere prayer of faith, not a shallow prayer for help, but a sincere prayer of faith. And what happens in that sincere prayer of faith is we are reminded who God is. He is the promise-keeping God, the covenant keeper. And as we recognize him for who he is, the very next logical thing that would happen is that we would recognize ourselves for who we are. And that is the next thing that is needed in preparation. We have an honest confession of sin. We... There's a sincere prayer of faith that helps us see who he is. And when we see him in all his holiness, we recognize that we are not him. We're not like him yet that we have sin. And so there is an honest confession of sin beginning in the middle of verse 6. He says that as he was praying, he was confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. Not only did our forefathers who were actually in Jerusalem sin and bring this to to be, but even me and my father, those of us who were born and raised here in what used to be Babylon, now we are guilty as well. He accepted responsibility. He asked honest, sincere forgiveness. In verse 8, he says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. He says, He says, God, remember what you told Moses, that if we disobeyed, you were going to split us up and spread us out? We've seen that happen. You were right. But you also told Moses that if we returned to you and we followed your commands, that you'd bring us back home together. God, would you do that? Would you bring us back home? There's an honest confession of sin. God, we don't deserve this, but we're asking for it. Folks, if, if you and I ever feel within our spirit or we ever say in a prayer, God, you owe me. If we ever feel that, that should be a huge red flag that pops up in front of our minds that says, hey, friend, there's a problem. God doesn't owe us health. He doesn't owe us security. He doesn't owe us safety. He doesn't owe us a rebuilt and reinvigorated church. Whatever he gives to us is because of his grace and mercy, because we're the ones who walked away from him. When we walked away from him, we said, we don't need you. And the Bible says that every single one of us in this room has at one time or another 
walked away. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to the book of Romans. If we, if we want to prepare to rebuild, some of that includes a confession of our own sin, recognizing God, we do want to rebuild, but we know we don't deserve it. You don't owe it to us. Would you forgive us our sin and give us the grace and mercy of allowing us the opportunity to rebuild? And that brings us to a humble request for help. That is the, the fifth thing that Nehemiah shows us that we need as we're preparing to rebuild. A humble request for help. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He says, now he says, would you grant us success? Now. He couldn't have said that earlier. Because first, he had to take an accurate assessment, figure out what needs to happen, what's going on, how are things at home, what's happening. And then he had to go through a time of a healthy emotional response to that loss. Then there was a sincere, sincere prayer of faith, God, you can. And then a confession of sin, you can, God, but I can't. I need you now and only now. Are we ready to ask for help? And then he says, would you grant success to your servant today? Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Well, what man? Well, just as he ends the chapter, he clarifies that for us. He says, I was the cupbearer to the king. And so we know that he's about to go into the king and he's going to ask the king for help. And he has now prayed that God would give him success, that he would get the help that he needs. Nehemiah first sat down and cried. Then he knelt down and prayed. And then he stood up and he got to work. Folks, that's what we need to experience. We sat down and we cried for a while. And that's good. We have knelt and we need to continue to kneel and pray. But very soon, it'll be time for us to stand up and get back to work and rebuild this church that we might be the church that God has intended us to be for this time in this place.